I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. There's a good chance your middle or high schooler will be learning about climate change in the classroom this year. 40 states and Washington, D.C. have adopted standards that include climate change as a part of the science curriculum. Shout out to my home state of Texas for being one of the 10 holdouts. Now, understandably, lots of parents have questions about what exactly their kids are learning. So I spoke to Dr. Danielle Lawson of the Southeast Climate Adaptation Center. She's an expert on teaching climate change and the impact kids can have on their parents' climate change views. It's been a while since I was a student, but she taught me a thing or two about climate change in the classroom. Danielle, thank you so much for being with me on Warming Signs. Thanks for having me, Kate. I'm happy to be here. So the school year is upon us. It has started all across the country. And the big question is, at least on my mind, will students be talking about climate change in their classrooms this year? You know, that's a great question. And honestly, I think they will be. Most states that I have worked with and interacted with, they do talk about climate change in the classroom. I'm most familiar with North Carolina, since that's where I did all of my doctoral research. But as we can see on the TV, students are talking about it and they're wanting it to be a conversation. And I don't think they're going to let us forget about it. So are there places that are not, I mean, you mentioned places that are talking about climate change, but are there places that students will not see that in the curriculum. Is that going on across the country? You know, that's a good question. It is a little bit outside my area of expertise. For the most part, we know that kids, they are learning about it. However, in what way they learn about it depends on a teacher that's teaching them. My teachers are regular humans like you and I. Um, So our personal belief systems come into that. So how they're learning about it might change. But um, there's nowhere I know of off the top of my head that is absolutely preventing climate change from being talked about in schools. I actually was an instructor for a course for educators, a graduate level course for educators on how to integrate Mm -hmm. climate into the classroom. And it was for the states of Florida and Georgia. And it was a small class size. I'm not going to lie. Have you seen an uptick in the number of teachers and instructors that have an interest in integrating climate change into their curriculum? So in terms of North Carolina, where I've always recruited for my research, We've always seen actually quite a bit of interest, and I've never actually seen it be on the lower side. And we actually did some research that isn't yet published on what what are the barriers to teachers actually participating in climate change-based professional development. And it actually doesn't have to do with belief systems or even their personal administration. And typically it has to do with the fact that there's a lack of time and money on their Hmm. part to actually participate in it. So I know that's kind of a long-winded way to answer your question, but from what I've seen, teachers always seem to be interested in it. The biggest question I get asked and how I start all of my workshops is I have someone who is an actual expert in climate science and communicating climate science come and actually give teachers a foundation of climate science. And that's not because teachers aren't capable or that they don't know, but it's just to make sure everyone has the same foundation. Because a lot of times the teachers that I've worked with are not concerned about what 
their personal beliefs are, but it's rather if they're going to talk about climate change, they want to make sure that they're presenting it in a very factual manner for their students. Interesting. So the barrier of time and money, is that just a needed instruction? Like the teachers need instruction themselves to be able to comfortably, you know, attack this in the classroom? I would say more so it has to do with the fact that just teachers are overloaded with a lot of stuff. They're doing a lot of things on the day to day. And so taking the time out with the little time that they have, because, you know, they don't work a typical 40 hour a week sort of job to actually go to a training to learn about something. I feel like sometimes that can be a lot to ask of them, depending on where the training is, how the method of transportation to get to said training whether the tramp- how much the training costs, whether it has anything like a continuing education credit associated with it. I think there's just a lot of factors there. And it just, it's hard when you have so much to do or like, cause I can imagine not having been a traditional classroom teacher myself, when you have so much going on to then have to go to another training to learn about it. That's just, that's a lot. And convincing your administration that you need to be, my mom's a teacher, so I have a little bit of a insight there, convincing your administration to give you the time to send you and getting a sub for the classroom, or you're giving up part of your summer that you're not getting paid for, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Absolutely. That's a lot to ask. Absolutely. What kinds of things do we know that students are going to be learning in the classroom if they're taught the, a curriculum that includes climate change? So that's another great question. Typically what we see across the board is that they are learning about the facts. Most importantly, typically, you know, um, it's going to vary based on textbooks and the actual curriculum that's being used. Um, What, how those vary aren't exactly my, once again, outside my area of expertise, but we do know that they do vary. But the promising thing about it is that my lab has actually done research looking at how do kids learn about climate change and how do those beliefs get translated to students if a teacher is teaching them and that teacher has a different belief system. Um, and what we find is that kids are actually able to suss out the facts for themselves. Really? And at least when it comes to middle school age kids, because that's oh. typically what we have worked with when it comes to climate change. We're starting to extend now into older students, but that this is the area that we have worked with the most. And what we find is that as long as the climate change is being spoken about, kids are actually typically able to separate beliefs in terms of causes. So if a teacher may not believe that it's human caused, we found that that doesn't necessarily have an impact on a student's belief, whether it's human caused or not, which is really promising because like I said, teachers are everyday people like you and I. And so their belief systems are going to vary just like our belief systems would vary. So if the teacher is teaching climate change, but they're not necessarily saying, hey, you know, this is anthropogenic causes. This is caused by humans. Is that, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's happening. Teachers are doing that. They're teaching climate change, but not that humans have an impact. I guess I didn't realize that was really happening. So I would say that it is not something that happens commonly. But it's more so that what a teacher's personal belief is. They might just be teaching the facts of what causes it, but there might be some misconceptions on whether it's partially naturally caused and partially human caused. There's a lot of misconceptions that exist across the board there. Um, So, you know, we have not encountered any teacher who's gone into a classroom by any means whatsoever and been like, 
this is incorrect, this is a hoax, this should not be happening. I do not want this to come across like we are saying that teachers do that by any means whatsoever. Um, I just think in general what's exciting is that kids are able to suss things out for themselves. So, you know, there might be a situation where someone doesn't necessarily talk about causes as much just because of the fact they feel like they're not educated on the subject, they're not an expert. It's a really complicated thing to try to explain um, and how it happens that, you know, me driving my car or taking a flight somewhere results in the climate warming. That's a really complicated process that happens from A to Z. And so it might just be that it's not discussed as much and or that it comes across that it's up for debate, not because necessarily what a teacher is presenting. We've seen I know there is research out there, not my own, that talks about how sometimes textbooks will frame it, that it looks like it is. There's still kind of a debate out there that there isn't a 97 percent consensus, but students yet overall seem to come out on the other side, understanding that this is anthropogenically caused. Um, which is really cool. Yeah, that's really fascinating. But what happens on the flip side of that? So a student is learning about climate change in the classroom. They bring home their homework and they're sitting at the kitchen table and they pull out their homework assignment about greenhouse gases. And Mm -hmm. a parent who doesn't think that humans are causing climate change is sitting there at the table with them working on that homework. I mean, what kind of relationship are we seeing happening with kids and parents on that spectrum? That's another really fascinating question and something I get really excited about because that is my area of expertise. Good. We finally um, got to it. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, which something is just, no, you're fine. Just something that's very exciting and really cool. I tell people all the time, middle schoolers are really cool. Some people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I think they're such a fascinating age and they're really cool in what they can take and critically think about and form perceptions of without being ingrained in their personal ideologies yet. So what we find, because this is the type of research that I did where we had middle school students at least, and they were learning about climate change in their classrooms, and then they were taking it home and they were actually doing some homework assignments with their parents, either talking to their parents or they were just doing it. And what we find is that even those parents, well, first, foremost, that kids after they participate in climate change-based education, their levels of climate concern go up, which is cool because once you get out, uh, well, really, if you look at our, the adult counterparts, you see that that isn't necessarily the case. It's not that linear that if you teach them about climate change, their levels of concern go up. But then what we found is that kids are actually translating that concern to their parents. So parents' really? level of concern was going yeah, absolutely. Which is really cool, that of an in of itself, but what was even even more interesting and hopeful and exciting is what we found is that we took these groups of parents and we separated them out by their self-identified characteristics. So how did they identify in the political spectrum, for example? We found that parents who identified as conservative, that this type of communication, so it coming from your student, that, that was it was most effective with them. So they actually ended the experiment with their levels of concern almost as high as those parents who identified as liberal. We also found it was more effective or most effective with parents who identified as male, um, wow. which is also really interesting because research also tells us that men tend to be less in, concerned about climate change than their female counterparts overall. And we also found that the 
conversation was most effective if the information was coming from daughters. Um, Whoa, okay, this is so much to take in. (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting. So all of that to say is that if a child's bringing a homework, piece of homework home, and they engage in a conversation with the parent, maybe in the first, you know, with any conversation, you might not come out and being like, well, I've changed everybody's mind. But what it says to us is that kids have a power to have this conversation with their parents in a way that an adult who's trying to communicate with them about climate change may not be able to have that same conversation and resonate as much with them. That is wild. So daughters speaking to conservative fathers have the largest impact, the biggest change in feelings on climate. Wow, that, that is a really cool finding. Such a cool finding and more proof that children really are our future in case you are questioning the wisdom of Whitney Houston. Let's pause for just a moment here to discuss the president's perception of hurricanes. Dorian has been a real doozy for President Trump. First, the claims that no one has ever heard of a Category 5. Americans are strong, determined and resilient, and we will support each other. And we will work very hard to minimize whatever the effect of of what's coming at us. We don't even know what's coming at us. All we know is it's possibly the biggest. I have not sure, I'm not sure that I've ever even heard of a Category 5. I knew it existed. And I've seen some Category 4s. You don't even see them that much. But a Category 5 is something that uh, I don't know that I've ever even heard the term other than I know it's there. That's the ultimate. And that's what we have, unfortunately. And then there was the cone of shame. Actually, we have a better map than that, which is going to be presented where we had many lines going directly, many models, each line being a model. And they were going directly through. And in all cases, Alabama was hit. if not lightly, in some cases, pretty hard. Georgia, Alabama was a different route. Uh, they actually gave that a 95% chance probability. And that map that you showed today looks like it's almost had like a sharpie. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The National Hurricane Center does an exceptional job at forecasting and communicating what a hurricane is expected to do. By tweeting that Alabama was at risk of a hurricane on September 1st, the president completely undermined that work. Yes, a couple of very early projections indicated Alabama might be in play, but by the time the president tweeted, it was several days later and the NHC forecast kept Dorian well east of Alabama. The confusion caused so much panic, the National Weather Service in Birmingham even had to issue a correction to the president's tweet saying that Alabama was not in danger. Rather than letting it go, the president used a week-old National Hurricane Center forecast graphic with a drawn-on black marker bubble at the end of the cone that made it appear that it extended into Alabama to try and prove his point. All while people were dying in the Bahamas, Florida, and North Carolina from the storm. Maybe Dorian will inspire the president to go back to the classroom and learn a little Hurricane 101. Now let's get back to my chat with Danielle and find out what happens when the message comes from adult children. I know that your research focused on, you know, middle school age kids and younger kids, but what about adult children? (laughs) Can adult children have conversation with their parents and make a difference? 
You know, that's a great question. It's not been tested with climate change, at least that I have seen in the literature. So like in a very scientifically set out experimental way. However, there is anecdotal evidence out there where people have talked about their adult children switching or just changing their minds. And a great example of it is Bob Inglis, who is a former senator. And he was a guest on our show here. He told us the story. Yeah. Yeah. About how his his son. son. Yeah. For those of you that haven't listened to the episode, uh, Bob Inglis was a U.S. congressman from South Carolina who his son came to him and basically said, Dad, you you need to do something about climate change. Like, I'm going to support you in this run, but you need to do something about climate change. And he decided to. He decided to advocate for it. He did the research. He, you know, kind of had this spiritual awakening along with it. And unfortunately, his own party primaried him and he lost his position in, in office. But he is a you know a conservative still in uh, South Carolina mm-hmm. that advocates for climate action. So sorry, a little sidebar <laughs> there. No, absolutely. I think and I think that's a, just a great anecdote of it happening. I'm starting to now do research, the same sort of type of researching how kids can influence their parents with adult uh, high school age children. Um, so starting to go in that direction, but that's just starting. So I don't have any results there yet. But, you know, I it's 100 percent not based in any facts that we have, but just based on what I have heard from people and stories across the board that. I think adult children also have more of an impact on their parents and they probably think they do sometimes. Cause like I said, we leave conversations and they don't always end in such a way that it doesn't feel like there was anything productive that happened, but we don't know what's happening with people. Once you leave that conversation, how they're ruminating on that information, what are they thinking about and how it impacted them. So I would hazard to say that they probably have an impact on their parents as well. See, I always say anyone who's changed your diaper isn't going to listen to you. (laughs) My personal belief system. (laughs) But perhaps we will get some uh, science-based evidence to say that I'm wrong. That'd be great. Right. Uh, Right. So what about whenever your kid inevitably hears something about climate change being a hoax? Our president has said that climate change is a hoax. I mean, it's inevitable that on a news program or in passing, they're going to hear that. Now, when they're hearing, they're learning about human-caused climate change in school, and then they're hearing these comments from the highest office in, you know, the country, how do you have a conversation with your kids about that? I mean, what do you say? I really think it comes down to having a conversation in the first place. And the reason I say that is because research has told us over and over again, and I know Catherine Hayhoe, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe um, out of Texas, she even has a TED talk about this, that having a conversation about climate change is one of the best things that you can do. So start opening that window for a conversation. Um, What we see once again, and what we probably would see in that case is that kids have this idea of trusted messengers. And so that can include parents, it can include our teachers, it can include political figures, celebrity figures. I do not know of any research out there that has seen how does what a president say impact what a child thinks. But what we see with teachers, for example, who are very much so a trusted messenger in a child's life 
arguably every, almost every single day, those beliefs don't necessarily completely translate. It might be the same case if they're listening to what the president is saying. But what I would say to parents is just to open up the conversation and to not be afraid to talk about it and to understand that, particularly with middle school children, that at that age, they have this unique related age-related window of influence. And what I mean by that is that they are really capable of critically thinking at that age, taking information, thinking about it. And we might think it might be too complex for them, but actually they're 100% able to understand it. And probably sometimes better than some of us adults. They're probably able to understand oh, it better. Oh, for sure. We, My husband oh. and I teach a Sunday school class to middle school age kids. And I'm always just yeah. like, well, I'm the dumb one here in the room. Right. right. That's how I felt a lot of times too, interacting with students. Also understanding that at that, once again, at that age, they're not ingrained in their ideologies yet. So when they're forming perceptions on topics, they're able to see the facts in a different way mm. and suss it out from their personal beliefs probably a little bit better than adults. You know, it's not 100% for sure, but it's just that they're not as ingrained in those things. So really what I would say to adults is just have that conversation with them if you feel like it's needed. Or if your child brings it up, like I said, have it with them. Try to keep it away from being so doom and gloomy. Kids do respond to very hopeful messaging. Um, It's particularly important with youth. But it's the same way with adults. You don't, doom and gloom doesn't really get us anywhere, to be honest. That actually brings us to my next question, which is... Oh, there's kind of this segment of of people who communicate climate who uh, or people just that are concerned with climate change that it mm-hmm. is panicked. I would use the term panicked. It's a panicked tone. Right. It's referring to the future as, you know, doomed. It's this th- referring to the future like the of being uninhabitable. What kind of influence right. that is that happening, is that having on kids? Like, are there examples of young children who are feel are hearing things like that and are panicked for the future as a result or having negative emotional reactions? So I think there are definitely, we see it uh, in popular media. There are definitely young, I would call them activists out there who are responding because they do feel panicked about the environment. So to name a few, Greta Thunberg, who's a really popular name, Jamie Margolin, who is the founder of This Is Zero Hour. And there's just a host of others, the group out of Oregon who took a lawsuit against the United States for failing to act on climate change. I think all of those people, those students are, or young people are acting out of a sense of urgency. But what we're seeing with them is that even though it is a sense of urgency, I think they actually believe we can do something about it. They've learned that there's something that could be done. And at this point, they're just urging people to do something about it. Now, I will say that those groups of activists tend to be, you know, at least for the most part, 14 and up. And so that might have something to do with it. Um, But I really think it boils down to the fact that they know something can be done. And that really is the biggest thing when I'm, or what I meant when I was saying to avoid doom and gloom messaging. And what I'm talking about is when you think of like posters or propaganda or anything, and they talk about climate change and they show these images of like something being flooded out, which is 
a reality, you know, if we do nothing about it, but they don't leave anybody with this sense of what they can do about it themselves. Climate change is a very big problem. It's very complex. Some people don't even realize they're experiencing it. Some people have the firsthand experiencing it. And there are climate refugees even now who are having to move because of sea level rise and flooding. But making people and like just giving people this almost like this belief in themselves, um, what we call like it's a belief, efficacy and self-efficacy, this idea that you can do something and you can be effective is really important. So that means, you know, voting, it can be voting for people who will take action on climate change. It can be even your individual behavior. So we see Greta Thunberg who made the choice to not fly to come to the to New York City to come to the climate summit, but instead she took a boat across the ocean. Now I understand that not everyone can do that, that sometimes you have to travel by plane. But there are actions that we can all take, you know, reducing your meat consumption, walking to school if you can, biking to school if you can, carpooling if neither of those are available to you, but you can put more people in a car, saving our your electricity, you know, doing all of these things, they do make an impact. You know, sometimes we take away from it, but we do it it does help. And it really is powerful when people feel like that they're doing something that is helpful. And the way we do that is by having messaging that does, you know, doesn't take away from the fact that this is a very urgent problem, but that there are things that we can and should be doing now. So maybe with your kids, you can get them involved by asking them to be responsible for the recycling in the household or asking them if they would like to ride their bike or walk to the park or a neighbor's house rather than take the car or, you know, maybe some of these smaller things inspiring a little bit of hope. And that sounds like... Right? Kind of along the lines of what you're talking yeah. about there? Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Making sure I absolutely. got it. Now, yeah, absolutely. What about, all this is great, you know, having a conversation with your kids about climate, et cetera, but what happens whenever you as a parent don't feel that comfortable with the topic yourself? I think once again, it's just opening the door for conversation. And then you can even make it in a family activity to educate yourselves or ask them, ask the student what they're learning about in school. I think it goes back to that idea that particularly if they are learning about it because they're in that, um, it's that time of year where they're covering it in science. Uh, and they, they probably can educate you quite a bit <laughs> yeah. on what they're learning. So I think it, once again, it just goes back to, I know I sound like I'm a broken record, just opening the door for conversation. And it's not a problem as an adult to admit that, you know, I'm not quite educated on this. Maybe you can um, help direct them to a place where you can find trusted answers because it's so exactly. easy to find, you know, just get on Google and find whatever answer you're looking for. Right. You can confirm your right. bias, but maybe as a parent, you can be like, hey, we're going to go to NASA.gov or we're going to go right. to weather.com. We're going to use a trusted source that we know and can rely on to find the answer to this question. Absolutely. 100%. And like I said, I think it could be a really cool family activity if both the parent and their child are like, you know, I'm not really, don't really know much about it. There's just that opportunity there. See, my family argued about math around the dinner table. <laughs> now we're going to have families arguing about climate, but in a good way <laughs> around exactly. the dinner table, finding exactly. the answers. Danielle, thank Absolutely. you so much for joining me on Warming Signs. I'm so thankful that you took the time to help us approach this topic of having these conversations with our kids and what they're learning in the classroom. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. If you haven't listened to episode three, Climate Change and Conservatism, a perfect match with Bob Inglis, this is the part where I shamelessly promote it. It's one of our best episodes, and it's an easy 20-minute listen for your next commute or workout or cleaning sesh or whatever it may be. Of course, a giant thank you goes to our entire production team, especially Mia and Dan, who help get this out of my brain and into yours every other Tuesday. Until next time. 